Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 38. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly show where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running a business while traveling full-time. I'm recording today's episode from San Marcos, Texas, where Alyssa and I are spinning our winter in our RV. It kind of feels weird to be in one location for longer than just a few days or a week, but also very nice and relaxing too, because this year we did the South all the way down to Big Bend, all the way north up to Jasper in Canada, East Coast and West Coast. So being one place for a couple months here in Texas is amazing, and I'm getting a new nephew next month, so I'm excited about that. And then in February, we're hosting the RV Entrepreneur Summit, which a lot of people who have listened to this podcast have already bought tickets to and are coming to. This is a conference that we're hosting outside of Austin. We have a lot of amazing speakers. Hit me up if you're listening to this show before February and you're interested in coming to the summit, Heath at campgroundbooking.com. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing J.D. Roth. In 2006, J.D. launched a blog called Get Rich Slowly, which documented his journey of being $35,000 in debt and learning how to take control of his life. He eventually sold that blog in 2009. By the way, it is possible to sell a blog. And then recently spent a year driving across the country in his 29-foot RV, which is what brings him to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. And I actually had a chance to sit down with JD a couple months ago and chat with him a couple times at World Domination Summit, which is where Alyssa and I premiered our hourly America film, and just talk with him. I, I watched him give a presentation with a guy named Mr. Money Mustache, Pete, if you've never heard of his blog, it's amazing. And I, I was really struck by JD on several levels, mostly just because of the way that he communicates finances and how to take control of your life. And this is an area that I very much was raised in. I spend all of my money on baseball cards and dumb things growing up. I didn't have good financial habits, and that's something I'm grateful that Alyssa has brought into my life. And so it's awesome to be able to dig into some of these details with JD today on the episode. Uh, A few things that we covered today are JD's financial journey to Get Rich Slowly and Money Boss, which is his popular blogs, why JD decided to live and travel in an RV for a year, financial blueprints and how to break out of your old money habits, emergency funds, investing and retirement advice for RVers, and how to draft your personal mission statement. Today's episode is sponsored by Leisure Travel Vans. While Alyssa and I don't own a Leisure Travel Van, I've probably been one of their loudest vocal advocates over the past two years. When I'm having a conversation with someone about RVs, I inevitably bring up Leisure Travel Vans. Why? They're what I call the apple of RVs, copyright pending. In a sea of RVs that have big bulky brown cabinets everywhere on the interior, they are beautifully designed and have more of a sleek, stylish interior than your typical motorhome or van. In addition to being beautifully designed, all of the Leisure Travel Vans run off a Mercedes-Benz 3500 Sprinter chassis with a 3-liter V6 diesel engine under the hood, which means Leisure Travel Vans will climb mountains and give you 15 to 19 miles a gallon, which is awesome and literally double the gas mileage that we are getting right now in our Class A motorhome. And they also build some of the rigs off the Ford Transit chassis as well. Of all the features that originally attracted me to the Leisure Travel Van, it was actually the layout of the interior of their RVs that I first noticed. When Alyssa and I bought our first class CRV, I played with the idea of removing our queen-size bed from the back of the RV and having a sleep on the overhead or the loft above the cab bed. This way, we could turn the back of the RV into additional living or workspace. 
The bed in the back just takes up so much room and you're not using it throughout the day. Leisure Travel Vans is one of the only RV manufacturers that has actually done something about this by installing a Murphy bed to fold down into the living room area of the RV. This way, throughout the day, you can work, eat, and hang out, and then in the evening, fold down the bed and go to sleep. This completely opens up the back of the RV for a significantly larger bathroom or additional living workspace, both of which are options in Leisure Travel Vans. No, we are not getting a new motorhome, another new motorhome. We're still very happy with our Winnebago Brave. I'm just a big fan of the Leisure Travel Vans, the product they've built, and the team they have in place, and was honored to give them a shout-out on the show. All right, guys, let's get into today's episode with J.D. Roth. All right, today on the show, I'm interviewing J.D. Roth. In 2006, J.D. launched a blog called Get Rich Slowly, which documented his journey from being $35,000 in debt as he learned how to take control of his financial life. He eventually sold that blog in 2009 to a company called Quinn Street. J.D., you're actually the only person I knew who's actually sold a blog. That's really cool. Uh, since J.D. has launched a new blog called Money Boss, become one of the leading experts on finances on the internet, which is a big deal, and frequently contributes to websites like Entrepreneur and Time Magazine, and he recently spent a year driving across the country in his 29-foot RV, <laughs> which is what brings him to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. J.D., thanks for being on the show with me, man. Thanks for having me, Heath. Glad to be here. Is this your first RV-centric podcast you've ever been on? Uh, yes, I think so. I, I was a guest <laughs> on one podcast that it's about, uh, how to avoid, I think it's called avoid being hated is the name of the podcast. And they interviewed me specifically about how to avoid being hated by the guy driving the RV. So I, I have done one episode uh, about RVing, but it was for a completely different type of podcast. Avoid being, I'm sorry, avoid being hated by the guy driving the RV. Yeah. Come on, surely there are things that, as you're driving around, annoy you, right? Yeah, so the whole purpose of the podcast is just don't be the annoying guy driving your RV on the road. Well, that particular episode, they also oh, have okay. like, a, avoid being hated by your dental hygienist, oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. avoid being hated by uh, <laughs> a Trump supporter, for example. They, they found a Trump supporter to interview, and it's a fun idea for a podcast, and I, I, think, it's, I think it's growing. It might be a big one eventually. Yeah, that is, that's hilarious. It's so funny that podcasts, I mean, the internet has really erupted into subcultures. And it's funny how now I know this is not totally where I, I want this to go. And we're going to get on track in a second. <laughs> but it's just so interesting, because things like Reddit, Facebook groups, podcasts, uh, things that uh, so are so niche, like running a business from your RV is so niche. But they they've given the world an opportunity to say like, I thought I was weird, but there's other people out there who want to do these same things as me. And there's more than I realize. And so that's probably one of the most beautiful things about the internet. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, being an on, RV entrepreneur, it, it does sound niche and yet there's tons and tons of people who do it. So even though these uh, different podcasts and blogs can be very, very narrow in focus, there are still plenty of people for each, uh, topic, I think. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to dig into, you know, RVing and your background, but for anybody who doesn't know your story, and I, I touched on it a little bit, can you give people some context into what you've been doing the past 15 to 20 years? And then we can dive in and talk yeah. about the RVing, but just so people have context. Yeah, you bet. I'll try to keep it short-ish. So I, I went to school, went to college, I got a psychology major, an English minor, I graduated, thought I'd have a get a job as a counselor or a therapist, but I didn't do anything to prepare for that. So I graduated and had no future. I had a lot of debt. It, was, it wasn't it was student loan debt. I was fortunate to have scholarships to go to college. 
but I had a credit card debt. And at the beginning of a credit card problem and no job prospects because I hadn't taken charge of my life. I hadn't uh, done anything to like prepare for what happens after college. Uh, so I did something I swore that I had would never do. And that is I went to work for my father. <laughs> uh, he owned a small business that manufactured corrugated boxes. So like shipping boxes, that kind of thing. Uh, he needed a salesman. He said, why don't you come do it for me? And I went against my better judgment and did it. I hated it. I was terrible. And my debt, my credit card debt just continued to build. So this was during the early 1990s. Uh, eventually, I accumulated over $35,000 in consumer debt and uh, kind of reached this low point. And some friends recognized that uh, I had reached my low point. This is in uh, 2004. And uh, uh, they loaned me some books. And I started reading books about personal finance and uh, getting out of debt. In the past, I'd always like looked for get-rich-quick type books. Uh, how could I make money quickly and make a million dollars overnight? And this was probably of... also during the days on the internet where people were actually coming out with headlines, like click on this, make money quick. I would assume <laughs> I, I wasn't really that prevalent on the internet at that time, but I can only guess. Uh, there was some of that, yeah. There were a lot of make money online blogs. But uh, I had just a general blog at the time, just writing about cats and computers and comic books and all the other things that I liked. Uh, and I wasn't trying to make money with it. But after reading these personal finance books, I realized, you know, uh, maybe I could start a blog that documents my journey to getting out of debt. And I thought it would be the first personal finance blog on the Internet. I didn't realize that there were already <laughs> others in existence. And so I started this blog, called it Get Rich Slowly, because my my hypothesis or, or my theory was there was no reliable way to get rich quickly, but there are reliable ways to get rich slowly. And so I, I spent several years writing that, editing it, eventually sold it, as you said. And then I stuck around for three more years after I sold it, acting as the managing editor and primary writer. And then eventually in 2012, I retired, and I'm putting retired in air quotes, <laughs> Because I, I continued to write for other people. You retired like Pete from Mr. Money Mustache, right? Yeah. It, well, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, we're sort of retired, but we're, we actually keep working. Some people would argue with this that we're not actually retired because we keep working. But I had achieved a, a degree of financial independence, so I didn't have to work. I just chose to. Yeah. So along the way, I had gotten a divorce and begun dating again. And the woman uh, that I ended up dating, Kim is her name, she suggested... When was this? Maybe uh, early 2014. We'd been together a couple of years at that point. And she said, you know, it'd be fun to take a cross-country trip in, in an RV. And I had always wanted to do something like that. I'd <laughs> always wanted to do a cross-country trip. Uh, I had never considered an RV. I had no, zero experience with them. So we spent about a year uh, researching RVs, test driving RVs, uh, trying to figure out what would be the right lifestyle for us, and uh, eventually purchased like you said, a 29-foot Class C, and then took off in March of 2015. We were on the road for 15 months in total. We returned to Portland, Oregon, which is our home base, in June of 2016. And along the way, I started a new blog called Money Boss. It turns out I just can't stay away from writing about personal finance. So now uh, I'm back home, no longer traveling. I do miss the road, but it's nice to be back someplace where I can focus on the work instead of uh, being distracted by the other fun stuff. Yeah, I was reading some of your posts when you guys were traveling and you talked about just the struggle of getting more work done on the road. And that's something I talk about. We talk about guests on the show a lot just because, I mean, you're traveling to places every 
few days or a week or every couple of weeks, depending on how long you're staying places. So did you, did you struggle with productivity? I know when you first started your original blog that you were doing 12 posts uh, a week, you're doing a lot of posting. And so did productivity go down when you guys are traveling or was it more intentional that you were having this time to explore the country? So it wasn't really a big deal. Well, when we left for the trip, Kim had quit her job as a dental hygienist and I didn't actually have any active work. I wasn't doing any active work. So uh, when we left Portland and set out on the road, it was no issue. But about six months into the trip, uh, we ended up in Savannah, Georgia, and we both kind of needed a break. Uh, we were getting along great. It's just we were tired of being on the road. So we rented a condo in Savannah, Georgia for uh, the winter. And Kim actually started her own online business prompted by uh, she was taking Steve Chu's course about starting online businesses, online stores. And so she decided to give that a shot. And then uh, I had been toying with this idea of restarting or of starting a new financial blog. And so while we were in Savannah for six months, I, that's what I focused on. I worked very hard on that. Then when we resumed the road trip back home in March of 2016, that's when we started to struggle. We both wanted to spend time. Kim wanted to work on her Amazon store. Uh, I wanted to write and produce material. And even though we had slowed our pace, uh, it was very difficult to, to make time to have this stuff happen and, and to find the connectivity that we wanted because uh, we were both doing online businesses. Yeah, that, ma- that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the best investments we picked up this year was an unlimited Verizon jetpack plan, which is nice. like, like our lifeblood. If Verizon ever come and taps on the door and takes it away, like we'll seriously have to consider giving up the RV life because of it. How much does that cost? We follow some bloggers called Technomadia, and they have a yeah, mobile RV yeah. resource center, and yep. they it costs 140 bucks a month is the answer. But they basically have a contact, and I think he had an unlimited amount of unlimited plants. And I keep talking about this on the show, and people are hitting me up, so I need to make sure I'm saying this right, but I'm pretty sure that was the thing. Anyway, uh, they have the contact, and you just go through him, and it's kind of like a drug deal a little bit, but you just text him, and you know he sends it in the mail, and you pay him through PayPal each month. But I mean, it's Chris, been, Chris it's, and Cherie, or yeah, it's through Chris and Cherie. It's not through them; they have like a different. contact. Yeah, huh? So it's been the bomb dot com uh, to have this. So. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I totally get uh, the element of not being able to just focusing on the work. So what's interesting about you is that you sold the blog, Get Rich Slowly, but it's like you're still doing everything personal finance related. And you hear of these entrepreneurs who sell their companies and then they, they just want to keep doing it. I mean, yeah. has, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Because obviously, like, that's you. So, I mean... Do you like the way things have played out for you in the past 10 or 15 years or would you have done any differently or? Well, that's a great question actually, because a a lot of times I get all wrapped up and say, oh, I wish I hadn't dug myself deep in debt when I was younger. I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't done the other thing. But the reality of this situation is I like who I am now. I like where I am now. And I wouldn't be this person doing the things I'm doing if I hadn't had the experiences I had. So even though they weren't fun at the time and I didn't enjoy them, I can't regret them. And uh, as for like uh, other people doing this, I think what happens is is once you're able to retire, whether you are retiring at a traditional age or uh, whether you're retiring early like I did, retirement or the act of no longer having to work for money gives you some freedom to pursue whatever it is actually brings meaning to your life, if that makes sense. Whatever it is 
that you enjoy and fulfills you. And so many people, and I'm one of them, find that there are some things that they can do and want to do that can actually provide an income. So they end up going back to work for themselves, but it, it tends to be more meaningful work uh, instead of just work that they're, they kind of have to do or that they've fallen into. Yeah. And I, I mean, I could ask you 10 more questions on top of that, that going into, you know, the whole blogging element, but taking a step back for a lot of people who listen to the show, they're somebody who's interested in going out and traveling, or maybe they're out on the road. But can you talk about how does a person say, you know, who is in a just a normal situation, maybe they have a little bit in debt, they have jobs, like, is there any type of advice that you would give for somebody who is in a situation where they want to go out and travel, but maybe they need to save up a certain amount of money before they go and hit the road. And I know it's so hard to give that generic advice because every situation is going to be different. But I mean, is there any piece of advice that you would give to somebody that's in that situation that is, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's a bad question. (laughs) No, no, it's a great question. The answer is going to sound like a bad answer because it's so, it, it sounds like it's simplistic and yet it is actually hugely powerful and if people give it some credence, it can actually change what they're able to do in life, I guess. And that answer is, and again, it sounds simplistic, save as much as possible. And let me expand on it a little because I don't want people to be like, how is that a financial advice? Um, so you're talking about people who have a pretty clear idea of what they want to do or they, they have some sort of goal. And I think that's great. That's terrific. That keeps people motivated towards making smart financial choices. What all personal finance comes down to is figuring out a way to spend your money on the things that provide meaning and happiness in your life. Too many people kind of spend willy-nilly, I guess. They spend without objective. They just kind of spend out of reflex. They spend because they see things in the media that uh, they think, oh, I have to have that, or their friends have things, or they just they go to the store and they see something and they want it. But if you can instead align your spending so that it is directly related to what you want to accomplish in life, you can be much more effective with your money. Money becomes a tool to help construct the sort of life that you want. And the best way to make this happen is to increase the gap between your earning and your spending. So in uh, personal finance, we call that a saving rate. Uh, Your saving rate is the difference between what you earn and what you spend. And most experts advise like 5% or 10% or the really bold ones say 20%. But from my experience, if people can do things, uh, do something like save half their income, which sounds crazy to some people, but saving half your income allows you to like supercharge your progress toward, toward whatever your objective is. And yeah, I guess that, that's the, uh, the essence of it. And again, it sounds as if I'm being simplistic, but what I'm really doing is trying to give a powerful piece of advice save half your income toward whatever it is you want to accomplish. And it can be very effective. Was that something that you've kind of come to realize? Or was that something that you were challenged to do? Because I saw that you were reading, it was also something to do with like Pete from Mr. Money Mustache was, I mean, what you guys are preaching is, um, I hate to use the word because it sounds corny, but like a paradigm shift in the way that we spend. Yeah. Because growing up, we had similar, I guess, parent situations growing up where I wasn't really instilled with the habits of proper spending. Alyssa's parents, they run their own business. My wife's family, they run their own business. 
they were very pragmatic. She had a great savings and she was much smarter than me, had a lot of a college scholarships. So she, she was in a very good situation and she's very much instilled a lot of these in me. But as a kid, like I'd get 20 bucks and I'd go out and spend them all on baseball cards and not even good ones, like the ones that were, you know, <laughs> overproduced. So I couldn't even resell them for any value. And so that's something that you've had to struggle with too, to get through that. And you talk about blueprints and how we're raised with these blueprints and largely imparted from our parents. How do you break out of that mold that says like, I need to spend this much because you're right. It is it's simple advice, but it's hard to take too, because we're part of cultures that are like, Hey, come out to eat with me. Or, you know, I need this type of subscription. So how, like, without sounding too simple, like how do you just break out of that? How did you break out of that? Well, it didn't happen overnight. I, I don't want to make it sound like it did. It, you're right that my financial blueprint that was imparted from my parents and from the people I knew growing up was pretty poor. It, it didn't allow me to cope with life effectively. My father, he, he was a serial entrepreneur, so he's always starting businesses, but it was like a famine or feast thing. He would make a lot of money. He would spend all that money on toys like computers, personal computers, back when personal computers were very expensive, airplanes, boats. Uh, all kinds of stuff. And then uh, the business would dry up and all of a sudden the family would be broken. He'd have to sell all his toys because he had never, he wasn't using that money to construct anything, any kind of future for the family. It was just like, oh, I have money. Let's spend it right now. So that, that's the kind of mentality that uh, I was raised with. And uh, I didn't know any different. So that, that's what I did on my own when I was out on my own. But gradually, and part of this uh, was due to the exposure to my ex-wife, I, I began to adopt a more sensible mindset. I guess I began to redraw my financial blueprint. So uh, being with Chris, uh, who she was very, she was excellent with money. She always saved about 30% of her income, starting to read personal finance books. And really, Heath, changing who I was hanging out with. Because I used to hang out with a lot of people who spent a lot of money. And, and when you do that, when your peer group is a group of spenders, it's easy to just do what they're doing. So you're right. It has to be kind of a paradigm shift. So finding places online where I could communicate with people who were also trying to get out of debt and build wealth, that was very important. And uh, finding those kind of people in real life too. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, a lot of the people who are out on this podcast or who I've interviewed and people we've met on the road, the biggest value that a lot of us share is just this idea of we appreciate freedom and at the mm -hmm. core of it like we can find it in a lot of different ways but we're out on the road because that i don't think there's any more thing freeing than driving an rv across america doing your own thing it's pretty cool but for people like us and trying to figure out what is the balance between you know i can bring on x number of clients or make this much money and you can control that to a certain extent but then there's also the element of balancing freedom and it seems like a lot of the financial advice is, you know, save X number of percentage of your income over a certain period of time, which I could be wrong, but it almost seems like it works better under the assumption that you are working in a job that, you know, this X amount of money is coming in. Right. How would a person balance that who is also trying to have some amount of, I guess, flexibility or, or is it one or the other for a certain period of time? Like when you're young and still trying to build up your income, it's like, you're going to have to either make more dollars per hour to cover that if you want some flexibility, or you're just going to have to work harder if you want to be able to bring in that amount of income. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. I think the goal, uh, no matter what situation you're in, if you don't already have all the money saved that you need to save, then your goal is to create as big a gap 
uh, between earning and spending as possible. And again, we call that savings rate. But you know, talking about savings rate, it, it makes people people's eyes glaze. So one <laughs> of the things I like to do is reframe that and talk about it in terms of uh, running your life like a business. This is uh, one of the things that's been really successful for me talking to people about personal finance. If instead of just thinking about your personal money like it's a home budget or whatever, if you instead adopt the attitude that you're going to run your personal life as if it's a business, you are going to be the chief financial officer of Heath Incorporated. And I'm going to be the chief financial officer of JD Incorporated. And you do what you can to earn or to maximize profits. People, when they adopt this mindset that, oh, I'm going to run a business and I'm going to make a profit, it's like this light clicks on in their head and they're like, yeah, I get it. Uh, because people understand that a business has to make a profit in order to survive. But I guess what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, the same idea holds true in, in your personal finances. The savings rate is exactly the same as profit. It once what we talk about when we're talking about personal finances and once uh, what, we're, what we talk about when we're talking about business. So if you're on the road already and uh, you're trying to run a business from the road, your goal even there should be to maximize what your profit is, both personal and business. And you, you only have two options, really. One is to increase your income, and the other is to decrease your spending. And for most people, the most effective thing to do is to tackle both at once. Work on ways to increase the income, work on ways to decrease the expenses. Yeah, I love that. And that makes so much sense. And the second episode of this podcast, I had a guy on here named Adam Newburn. He's a CPA. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're full-timing, been on the road for a couple of years. And he talks about this, but in a little bit different, he talks about building your financial runway in the sense mm -hmm. of just like if you're a startup, you have this financial runway, which is basically how, like if you didn't make any more dollars, how much more, how long could you go? So if you had I'm just exaggeration, $6,000 in the bank. And you said, I'm only spending $1,500 a month. Well, the maximum amount of time that you can spend, you can be on the road is like four more months. Not, I'm not mm -hmm. saying you should go out and spend all your money, but I don't know. So that was kind of an interesting way, but I really like this, the CFO analogy as well. And it's just interesting that it does click because it's like, what is the difference? I mean, you're still trying to make money if you're not thinking of yourself as a CFO, but it's interesting how that works. So and I was going to say, for me, on the I don't know how it is for you or your listeners, but for me, on the road, it was so much easier for me to track my spending because it, when you're home, there's all these utilities and stopping at grocery stores on the way home for just random purchases and going out with friends. There's just all sorts of these random expenses. But when I was on the road, uh, our expenses were very easy to see. What are we paying tonight for where we're staying? What are we paying for our meals? And then what are we paying for incidentals? And at one point, we eventually got a uh, Verizon hotspot, too. And so all of a sudden, we did have a utility. Oh, and of course, there's gas, too. Gas right. is not. But to me, it, I kept a spreadsheet for the uh, first six months of our trip. And it was easy at the end of the day to just put in what are our numbers? What are we spending per day? And based on that, I mean, after a month or two, it was very clear that we had a, a certain amount we were spending per day. and we were able to just target that and know, okay, based on how much savings we have, this is how long we're going to be on the road then. Yeah. Was there any of those metrics that surprised you? And I would just respond to what you're saying. It's we, for some reason, I don't know if it's just because Alyssa and I got married, right? Literally right before we hit the road and, and because I have her, but it's like, we've tracked almost every dollar 
that we have spent in the past two and a half years of travel in a, sp- in a spreadsheet. So it's like we have 2014, 2015, 2016 all broken down and all those costs. And it's almost like a game that we try to play. You know, how can we yeah. get these lodging costs down? But anyway, what were some of the, did you have any metrics that you guys recorded on the road that surprised you about cost when you guys were RVing? I just pulled up my spreadsheet so that I could look <laughs> at it while we're talking. And you're a numbers guy too. So like this is where you kind of geek out on stuff, right? A yeah. Bit. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so for me, I, re- I had unrealistic, unrealistic expectations going into it. So again, I had not done any kind of RV travel before we did this trip. Uh, we did a couple of weekends of test runs, but it, that doesn't really give you a clear idea of what it's going to cost. Right. So um, I can't remember what my goal was. I think it must have been $50 a day. You said 2000 a month on your blog. That was my, my goal. Which I think is 50 bucks a day. So yeah. I'm trying to do the math. Yeah. Something maybe sixty. Yeah, okay. So fifty. I think fifty dollars a day to start was my goal, and then I, I bumped it to the two thousand dollars a month because I realized it was going to be unrealistic. But then after, I mean, I'm looking at my spreadsheet. The first couple of weeks, I mean, we're two weeks in, and we're spending more than a hundred dollars per day, and, and that was like freaking me out. There was no question. Uh, <laughs> but then those numbers like evened out because during the first couple of weeks of a long term trip you realize, oh, we need to get this, that, and the other thing, and oh, we're missing, Yeah, I don't know, we didn't fill the propane. I mean, there's just random stuff. And so eventually it settles into, a, or I feel like it settles into a, a long-term average. And for a long time, we were able to keep our average at about $80 per day between the two of us. That eventually crept up as we went, as we got to the East Coast to I think, what are we at? $90 a day is what we finished the six months. And that was because in the West, we were able to do a lot more dry camping. And in the East, we just didn't find spots to do that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And how long did you, how many months did you guys spend total on the road? Uh, For the first leg uh, was six months. Uh, We did six months going from Portland, Oregon uh, to Savannah, Georgia in a very weird path. Uh, Savannah was never our destination. It's just where we happened to stop for the winter. Then we rented a condo in Savannah for six months. And then we, uh, this past spring, we spent three months returning from Savannah to Portland. And we didn't track the expenses. The only expenses we tracked were the six months getting from Portland to Savannah. Gotcha. Was there any big overarching goal with this travels or was it just this goal of having a year to go out and explore America and travel? And do you feel like if there was some type of maybe not intentional goal, like we're going to go this many miles because that'd be a weird goal. But, you know, just what was I'm trying I'm just trying to understand, like, what was some of this underlying motivation to go out and travel? And do you feel like some of that was satisfied through this trip or what did you learn from the experience? You you know, this is one of those things where for once I didn't have a goal. A, A lot of times I have some sort of objective going into a trip. In this case, it was no, let's just go see the country and make the most of it. Kim and I travel the same way in that we kind of, we, we love making things up as we go along. Uh, I, I know some people prefer to plan, but for us, we just don't find it. it we hated the, the days or the, or the weeks where we had uh, like a set agenda. We knew we had to be at a certain place at a certain time. Totally throws off the vibe. <laughs> yeah. It made us tense rather than making us happy. And so what we figured it out is having a general idea of where we want to go next, that's great. But 
not with any kind of fixed timeline. So no, no advanced reservations. We would make campground reservations maybe a day or two in advance. And even then, sometimes that kind of threw us off because we're like, oh, well, it would have been nice to go over here. So for us, it was just a chance to see the country uh, making it up as we go along. And uh, we loved it. You didn't have a problem taking off time from work or anything like that? Kim did. For, for me, again, I at the time I was retired. Again, here come the air quotes. <laughs> I was doing a few things here and there for pay, but I thought, oh no, I can just kind of uh, enter this wind down mode, even though I was, I think I was, we left on my 46th birthday. That's right. It was my 46th birthday that we left Portland, Oregon. So I was pretty young to be retired, but I thought, no, we can do this. Kim was experiencing a little bit of reluctance because she did have to quit her work. And when we got to Savannah, that was one of the reasons she wanted to stop. Is she felt like she really wanted to make money, make more money. Uh, we had, we could have kept traveling on my nest egg, but she wanted to contribute to the trip, and I, I'm fine with that, absolutely. And that was another reason we hurried home too. Is she wanted to, she she likes to work, and so she wanted to get back to work. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you guys have, what would you say was probably the, the coolest? I want to talk in, jump in and talk about some of the blogging and your experience building up all these different blogs. Um, okay. But first, I want to know, what was probably the highlight of the whole trip? Well, there were a lot of highlights. I guess like if you had to think of like a moment that was like, man, this is a really cool moment when we're out on the road. Uh, okay. I, I think maybe it was, okay, first of all, we really love the Southwest. Kim had spent some time living in Flagstaff, Arizona, but had never really explored anything besides Sedona. But I had never been to Arizona or to Southeast Utah or Southwest Colorado, the Four Corners region. And we thought it was stunning. We thought it was beautiful. And uh, one of the moments that we really, really enjoyed was just south of Moab. What is the, is, is it Canyonland State Park that's, or National Park that's southwest of Moab? I think so. I'm not sure. Honestly, I haven't, I haven't been there. It, well, about an hour south of Moab, I think it is, directly south, there's like this little state campground off, you know, it's just a standard tri-camping cap, campground. But if you follow the road that that's on back another 10, 15, 20 miles, you get to this overlook and it's called Needles Overlook because it overlooks the Needles region of Canyonlands National Park and is just the most stunning view that I have ever seen and can imagine seeing. It's you're high up on this cliff, I don't know, a few hundred feet, maybe a thousand feet, I don't know what it is. And your view out over the horizon is just, it seems like forever. And it's this weird, distorted scenery, like out of some sort of uh, Roadrunner cartoon. And uh, at sunset with the wind and everything, it's just, it was beautiful. So that was a, that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if if you notice this, you guys notice when this when you were on the road, but I was I was doing software sales for I guess eight or nine months before we hit the road a couple of years ago, and it was hard. It's hard for me looking back on that time in my life to pinpoint uh, different moments, memories, and I can remember being in the break room. You know, it's like select meetings, but it all kind of blends into one big like mashed potato type thing. I don't know. I just can't really pick <laughs> it out. That was a weird analogy comparison. Stir yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but something I noticed on the road was I, I journal, um, and I've done that for over three years now. And it was like looking back on different moments. There was I can pinpoint so many different moments, and it was like a weird perception of time when we were out traveling. 
mm-hmm. which was that time literally felt like it was moving slower because looking back over the past six months, instead of it being one blob of memories, there was hundreds and there was these memories of looking across this beautiful, you know, lane in the Southeast or whatever, or being in Colorado or on the Pacific coast. So I don't know if, is that something you experienced when you were out traveling or? Yeah. And that's a great way to put it too. We treated the first six months very different than the three months on the return trip. And during that first six months, we were documenting the trip extensively too. We were journaling, taking photo, uh, taking photos, taking video. And yeah, it's like, even now, I might do this tonight because you're prompting me to think <laughs> about it. Uh, even now, once in a while, we will go back and look at the photos and videos. And it's amazing because you'll each day is like this self-contained adventure almost. Or maybe it's not one day. Maybe it's two or three. Maybe it's each location. But yeah, I'm thinking of now like being up on Swan Lake in uh, Montana. That was a great weekend. We saw a wolf up close. We thought it was a dog. We were far <laughs> too close to that wolf. Uh, thinking about the time we did, uh, we stayed on a winery at a winery in uh, the Niagara Falls region of New York and uh, helped bottle their brandy. That was fun. Our RV broke down. I mean, everyone's got their RV horror stories, right? Our our engine gave out completely in a small town called Plankinton, South Dakota. And we were stranded there for 10 days while we waited for a new engine. And we thought we were going to be totally bored, but it ended up the uh, people in the town were very friendly. We hung out with them in the evening. Uh, Yeah, just so many adventures. I love it. Uh, well, I, I want to jump into, we have a, a Facebook group called Make Money in RV, people who are young, working age, transitioning into living on the road. And I asked them to ask you a few questions. I told them I was interviewing you on the podcast. So I want to jump into a couple of those. Sure. Uh, Linda asks, what's the right emergency fund amount? And and does JD think that an RVer needs to have more an emergency fund than someone that lives in a sticks and bricks house? Oh, that's a great question. So first of all, I don't think there's one right emergency fund amount because each person has a different, what would I say, risk tolerance, I guess. So for me, I'm much more willing to take to take risks and I need less in my emergency fund. But having said that, I set out on this trip knowing full well that the odds were in favor of us having some sort of major catastrophe like we did. And so we had $10,000 set aside specifically for things going wrong. And uh, so I do think that for RVers, it's probably smart to have more set aside in an emergency fund than you would as a renter, certainly, and maybe even as a homeowner. Now, homeowners have little catastrophes that happen too. you know, a tree falls on the house or uh, whatever. And so there's always stuff coming up. And that's why I advocate having some sort of maintenance fund if you uh, own a home. But RVers too need to, I think it's ill-advised to set off on a long-term trip without some sort of reserve fund for things going wrong. Yeah, I love that. And Linda, just for a reference, when Alyssa and I did our first year on the road, 48 states, seven months, and we averaged three to $400 a month on maintenance in our 94, 29-foot Class C motorhome. It's going to be different for everyone, but um, yeah. that was that was our experience. Uh, Angela asks, what are good options for investment money that can be accessed monthly or every two to three months to supplement income for on-the-road expenses pre-retirement age? Oh, that's a great question. And I don't know that I have an answer for it. <laughs> Getting into some specific stuff. Well, yeah, but it's good stuff. It, it makes me think, what what would I do if I wanted to? 
So my my normal advice is to uh, put everything you can or as much as possible into uh, what's known as indexed mutual funds. And these are simply mutual funds that attempt to mimic the movements of the stock market, the broad movements of the stock market. And the drawback with those in this particular case is, is they don't produce income in any particular, I mean, they throw off a little bit of dividends, but not a lot. And so in the, if you wanted to, I don't know, I, I, this is going to go back to risk tolerance too. If you don't have a lot of risk tolerance and you're just wanting to kind of maintain the value of your money, you could look at doing what's called a CD ladder where you take, uh, you buy certificates of deposit of differing uh, terms. Uh, and so they're maturing every few months and you get your money that way. You could look at investing in dividend stocks, uh, and dividend stocks will throw off a certain amount, a certain percentage every quarter or every year. But I don't have a lot of experience with that, so I, I can't uh, uh, make any specific recommendations. So I guess the bottom of the line, or the bottom line answer is I don't have a <laughs> good answer. Yeah, no, I mean, that's okay. Uh, Elaine asked, she said, I look forward to that podcast. One question I have is for independent contractors who travel full time and are under 50 years old, what is the best option to save for retirement? Is it the IRA? And are there any other options out there where one could withdraw retirement savings earlier than 67 without having all the penalties? And I, I don't know if this overlaps with the last question at all. Does it a little bit? Uh, it, it does a little bit, but it's not looking for the income stuff. So in this case, I would encourage it was Elaine. Is, is Elaine, the, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of different options. So you can look at a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA allows you to contribute your money. Uh, the money you contribute has already been taxed, so you, that means when you earn uh, returns on the money, uh, you're not taxed on it. That said, you can't access those returns until traditional retirement age uh, without incurring a penalty. However, you can withdraw your contributions. I don't know what the contribution limit is right now. I think it's probably $5,500 a year. So in theory, you could put the money into the Roth IRA and keep contributing. And then at some point, if you decide you need to withdraw it, you can pull out uh, up to 50, uh, well, however much you've contributed to it. You can't withdraw the earnings without incurring a penalty, but you can uh, withdraw your contributions. And I also think it's a good idea for solo entrepreneurs to look at setting up some sort of 401k for yourself which in this case, you're contributing before tax money. So earnings are going to be taxed eventually. I think I've got this all right. <laughs> I, I'm saying it out loud instead of writing it. So I'm, I'm afraid my uh, advice is going to be messed up. No, it's okay. I, if you're like me, I, it's so much easier to write things down while I'm just yeah. processing through it. So <laughs> this is pretty nuts and bolts type stuff for, mo for most people. But um, So... I think it's a great idea, whether you're on the road or not. If you are a solo entrepreneur, set up a solo 401k and contribute as much as you can to that. I don't remember what the uh, current contribution limits are again. And it's important to note that I'm an—I call myself an accidental personal finance expert. <laughs> I don't have—I'm not a certified financial planner. I'm not a CPA. I, I don't know this stuff off the top of my head. Yeah. I just from personal experience. So. I set up a solo uh, 401k when I was earning a bunch of money from my previous website, and that allowed me to contribute, I think it was $16,500 a year to a 401k for several years, and that's actually been uh, my best performing retirement fund because of what I invested in. Uh, but I think doing that 
setting up a, tradi- or a Roth IRA and maybe even a traditional IRA, then those, I, I think those are the minimum things that traveling entrepreneurs ought to do, RV entrepreneurs. How lucky it was it that your last name is Roth? <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, before I started blogging about uh, personal finance, I had no idea what a Roth IRA was. Yeah, I'm still a little fuzzy on a lot of this, if I'm being honest with you. But this is helpful for me, too, because being someone who's still like Alyssa and I hustled, we paid off $14,000 of student debt last year, living super cheap in our old RV that we'd already paid off. And um, it, we've just been so focused on that versus like as soon as we finish that, then we can kind of shift our mindset but it's still good, you know, to actual long-term savings. So it's it's good to be able to hear this right now for me too. Yeah. I think I might, I don't remember what I said out loud, but I might've got the 401k and traditional IRA stuff reversed with the Roth IRAs. So at Roth IRAs, you, no, I got it right. You're contributing <laughs> after, after tax. Never mind. <laughs> Second guessing yourself. All right. Um, there's always going to be like a grammar Nazi or a person who, who uh, just feels the need to point out stuff. So if it got it wrong, that's okay. Um, no, I mean, it, it, I think it's good that people, I want people to correct me when I'm wrong because again, I'm not, I don't pretend that I know this stuff inside and out. I'm trying to figure it, figure it out as I go along, just like everybody else. And so if somebody knows more and knows what's right, absolutely, they should correct it. Yeah. And some, that's a good transition point because I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to dig into a little bit of the blogging component that, you know, just your history with get rich slowly and some of these other websites that you've started like money boss and even your personal blog at jdroth.com because there's so many people out there almost everybody who hits the road in an rv i don't know if you noticed this but you probably saw a lot of rvs that had logos and websites like yeah. every, so many yeah. people start blogs and it's it's interesting we're living in a world where it's so much more prevalent to be able to partner up with companies uh make a few bucks via affiliate amazon income by just sharing like this is the hammock that i'm using on the road or whatever and so can you talk to me about, without going into too much detail and going down to sidetrack, but Get Rich Slowly, that turned into uber successful. You sold it. Like I said, you're one of the only people I know who's ever actually sold a blog. But you're pretty much just documenting your journey. And I think that that is so important to, to kind of clarify because I think a lot of people start blogs and they're like, let me teach you how to do all these things versus just saying like, this is what I'm learning as I'm going through something. And I think there, there's so much value in that, right? I think so. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes you relatable, right? I mean, people do like to be told what to do. They do want to have somebody say, these are the answers and this is what you should do. Uh, there's no question. But at the same time, there's a lot of value in saying, I don't know the answers. I'm looking for them too. Join me for uh, along the journey. Yeah. And I mean, but you you built up this whole entire following of people in the finance industry and this you know, becoming this financial expert as somebody who didn't have traditional education or, um, you know, you were just literally documenting what you're learning as you're going. Uh, right. So talk to me about what you're doing with Money Boss and, you know, how people can follow along and what you have going on in the next year for Money Boss. Sure. So uh, Money Boss, which is at moneyboss.com, it's my attempt to say, you know what, this now, after 10 years of reading and writing about personal finance full time, I actually do have a little bit of a financial philosophy developed. When I started Get Rich Slowly, I didn't have one. I was looking for a financial philosophy. Now I feel like, okay, I feel like I know what people can do, most people can do in order to become financially successful. And 
achieve whatever their dreams happen to be. Some people dream of traveling the uh, country in an RV. Some people dream of uh, buying a little piece of land and raising a family. Others dream of opening their own business. And some want to do all those things at once, right? <laughs> and so my goal at Money Boss is to, first of all, help people figure out what their purpose is. Because I think this is so important, not just for our financial lives, but for all aspects of our lives. Figuring, figuring out what is your personal mission statement. Uh, and then once you have that mission, setting goals and making decisions that are aligned with that mission instead of behaving in a random way that doesn't uh, support your values, I guess. So Money Boss is really, I, I used to say it was about advanced personal finance. Uh, I was trying to differentiate it from what I was writing at Get Rich Slowly, which was more about uh, introductory stuff. Uh, but more and more, I realized that it, it's not necessarily, Money Boss isn't necessarily about advanced personal finance. What it's really about is saying, I am the one who's going to be responsible for my own life. I'm going to take charge of it. I'm going to take charge of the finances. I'm going to take charge of my fitness. I'm going to take charge of all aspects. And I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to be the boss of myself. So that's really what I'm trying to accomplish at Money Boss is to get people to uh, become very self-directed. I love that. When it comes to personal finance, would you have, do you have a book that you recommend to a lot of people if they're, you know, if they're trying to take more control or one that you've given out more over the years? Oh, you know, from personal finance, that's a great question there. I, I don't think one like that exists just yet. Uh, if Mr. Money Mustache ever writes his book, which <laughs> I'm skeptical that he'll ever get it done. Uh, By the way, just to insert this in here, Pete, the guy that we've referenced in this podcast several times, MrMoneyMustache.com, is a massive online following mm -hmm. um, from, pe from people who are like raving mustachians um, who follow his stuff. But I got the chance to hang out with him, do dinner, and you know, hang out with him a lot in, in Portland this year at World Domination Summit. He's just an amazing regular guy. But if you're looking for just you know just reading blogs to follow on personal finance, like Mr. Money Mustache is the bomb. So anyway, keep going. Yeah, he, he absolutely. Uh, and he influenced me in a lot of ways. He totally changed my way of thinking. I, I mentioned earlier that I used to think that uh, there was no reliable way to get rich quickly, but you could get rich slowly. Now I know there is a reliable way to get rich quickly, and uh, you can do that if you follow uh, Mr. Money Mustache's advice. And, and it's not scammy. It's not hokey. It just requires a very large savings rate. I, I may, mentioned saving half earlier. Well, he wants you to save two-thirds or even 75%. And uh, if you do that, the math works out that you can be, you can retire within a decade. So if he were to write a book, uh, I think that would be the one that I would uh, encourage people to uh, read. But the reality is a lot of times I, I think the best financial books aren't actually about money. They're about other, other things. And so uh, both Mr. Money Mustache and I, are huge fans of uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey, which, you know, is a huge best-selling self-help book. And it might seem odd to recommend that and say this is good about money, but it really is. It's about being self-directed and, and uh, figuring out what's important to you. So to me, that's one that I would encourage people to read. 
Awesome, JD. Well, the last question I have, and I ask this every episode, what does success look like for you as you're building Money Boss? Uh, I usually ask it also how it relates to travel and RVing, but you may not be doing that <laughs> for a little while. So what does success look like for you in your lifestyle? Well, this goes back to what I said a little bit ago. I, I, I'm a huge advocate of people drafting a mission statement, figuring out what their purpose is. And this is something that I've done for myself. Uh, I did it several years ago. And I revisit my mission statement over and over and over again, primarily because I talk a lot about it and teach a lot about it. And uh, so to me, success is how well is my life aligned with what I say my purpose is. And I say that my purpose, I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't have it in front of me. Uh, My purpose is to uh, learn as much as I can and experience as much as uh, of the world as I possibly can. Uh, in order to grow and become a better person. And I want to take that and share what I learn with other people. And so to the extent that I'm able to do this, uh, better myself and help other people better themselves, I feel like I'm successful. And I, I feel like right now I've constructed a life that allows me to do that. I get to try, I just got back from Ecuador uh, about a week ago. And I spent a week in Ecuador where I was talking about this kind of stuff, self-help, touchy-feely stuff mm-hmm. about developing mission statements. I'm going to travel in a couple of months. I'm going to travel to uh, Florida to talk about this stuff again. I'm going to – one of the things that I have been tasked with doing is actually creating a – not a course, but a, I guess a talk, a, a, probably about an hour-long talk on – to help people – create their own mission statements. Uh, I'm so passionate about this idea and I, I think it's so important. So yeah, I feel like I'm, maybe I'm not hundred percent achieving success because there are plenty of times when I goof off, watch silly TV shows <laughs> or uh, play video games, but day to day I'm doing what I want to be doing. Yeah. I mean, I'm speaking from my short 25 years of life experience here, but just from what I've noticed and even significant portions of my own life was that it's very easy, uh, at least from my own perspective, to go through life without that guiding mission-based factor and make decisions just because they're coming in. And like that filtering everything through that mission in my own life has been, has made all the difference. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what plays out uh, in that talk and everything. So where can people learn more about you, JD, and connect with you? Where's the best place to connect with you at? Uh, the best place is to go to moneyboss.com. I read all the comments. If people want to email me directly, it's jdroth at moneyboss.com. I read every email that comes in, although uh, I don't answer them all. It, that would be impossible. Yeah, and I would love to have people come visit. If people want to uh, get my core philosophy, I don't have a URL, but if they go to the April fifteenth, two 2016 article, uh, that's where I list the uh, blog posts that summarize my philosophy. And then I give a, a link to a free 70-page uh, PDF. You don't have to give me an email or anything. It's just it's a 70-page document uh, ebook that you can download that has uh, my financial philosophy and life philosophy. And it seems to be proving valuable to a lot of people. So I downloaded it earlier this year. It's awesome. So I'll link up to all that in the show notes. And thank you so much, JD, for taking the time and for being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Heath. It's been fun. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to grab the show notes from this episode, head on over to heathandalyssa.com forward slash episode 38. Thanks again to Leisure Travel Vans for sponsoring this episode. If you haven't done so already, I'd love for you to subscribe to the RV Entrepreneur in iTunes. What this does is you get the instant alert whenever a new podcast goes live each week that we don't have to wait for it to upload in iTunes because there's typically a one to two day delay there. And also, if you haven't left a review in iTunes, I would love for you to do that. I know I've asked for this several times on the show, and I wouldn't ask and pester you about it if it wasn't a big deal. Each review helps more people find the podcast, and we have 125-star reviews in there right now, which is amazing. And also, I just want to say that I had no idea how this podcast would be accepted whenever I put it out there into the world earlier this year in February. I launched it in February 2016. If you've been following along... I honestly thought at times that the niche of wanting to run a business and be fully remote in in an RV was potentially niching and narrowing myself too small. You hear people talk about that a lot is how many people would actually be interested in that. We're about to pass 100,000 downloads this year, which is really freaking amazing. And it's all you guys. And so I'm grateful for you listening. If we've never talked and you've just been kind of a silent listener, I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email, Heath at Campground Booking. I read all of them, respond to all of them. And if I ever did miss your email, I'm sorry. I'm not the best at it, but I'm always working to improve. But I do really try to respond to every one of them. And thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. And I hope you have an amazing Christmas. And I'll see you in 2017 on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. By the way, we have a couple more shows releasing in 2016. I just I felt like I wanted to end on that high note. So... Have a great day.